right, Jim, I start off with the same boring question, but I, I'm excited to hear your answer to it, which is what's your franchise story? How did you even fall into franchising? Uh, it's funny. I started in the restaurant business when I was 15 years old, and um, I was working at a jack-in-the-box in Tempe, Arizona. On my first day, they were talking about how the owner was coming to uh, visit that day. Everybody was getting ready for his visit. And at 15 years old, first job, never worked before. And I was like, J Jack? I mean, Jack's coming here? Um, and that just seemed weird to me that there was even a, a Jack. But they said, no, his name's Neil. And I said, what is Neil? It's weird. Um, and they were like, yeah, it's, it's owned by a guy, like a separate guy. That was my first sort of introduction to the idea of what franchising even was. They said, this is a franchise store. I, you know, I had no idea what that meant. And I said, yeah, so he owns three of them. Again, no idea what that meant. So it was kind of interesting. Um, ended up working there for, for a bit of time uh, and jumped around, you know, as a young kid working at different restaurant concepts. Uh, all of them uh, franchises, which was also interesting to me that it, you, I didn't even know there was a corporate um, until uh, later in my career where I landed, a, you know, in a corporate um, situation. So um, worked my way up through different restaurant concepts, landed as the uh, VP of operations for the San Diego and Texas markets for CKE restaurants, which is Carl's Jr. And um, then eventually made my way over to Blaze Pizza when Blaze Pizza was just getting started. I got there when there were two locations. Uh, and was hired on as the VP of operations and training to build out all of the operations and training stuff uh, to grow that concept. I uh, did that for about eight years. When I left, there were 372 locations open and then uh, landed uh, uh, towards the end of that um, with an opportunity to jump over here to Dave's Hot Chicken uh, as the COO. Uh, and then uh, about two years ago, uh, my boss added president to my title and here I am. The best thing that my boss added to my title, the, the biggest opportunity I've had of probably my entire career, uh, was that I was able to uh, essentially buy a franchise of Dave's Hot Chicken. So I'm not only the president, I'm not only the president, I'm a member, uh, and I, um, my, me and um, our franchise group have a two-unit franchise. We're working on our third and our fourth locations right now. Um, and that has been wildly, I don't know, inspirational I, I don't know what the right word is uh to go from that 15 year old kid who you know didn't even understand what a franchise was working in a franchise jack-in-the-box location to becoming a franchisee myself um it's sort of you know it's sort of poetic i mean i don't know what to say about it i'm i'm uh like humbled by the fact that that's been able to even happen so and appreciative very uh, very grateful to my to dave's hot chicken and the team there what a great story so few things I want to unpack. So one, the experience you had at 15, unfortunately, I still think happens for many people, whether you're 15 or you're 50 right now on what the perception of franchising is. Why do you think that is? Is it just because we don't celebrate the owner operator and it's always just brand centric? Or what? what is the disconnect that people don't understand what it, anybody doesn't understand yeah. what franchising is? It's, a, it's an interesting uh, question because I think, you know, especially at the age of 15, you're sort of not really introduced to business concepts or the way businesses get started. I think that's more, you know, probably once you get to the college level, right? Um, you know, and you start taking business classes and, and learning what, you know, sole proprietorships are versus LLCs versus any of that, and then sort of understand how business grows in the, in the United States. Um, I think maybe it's just a general lack of awareness, even, you know, even when during election cycles and people are talking about all these pe other people being small business owners, 
I think sometimes that's lost on people that the small business they might own is the mailboxes and more on the corner or the small business they own is, you know, a jack in the box restaurant or, or whatever. I think it's just one of those things that flies under the radar quite a bit or the small business they own is a hotel. You know, you kind of think the hotel has this brand name on it. That's, oh, that's a Holiday Inn. It's all part of the Holiday Inn uh, corporate system when it's most likely a Holiday Inn franchise location um, owned by, you know, an individual own, owner and operator that lives probably maybe next door to you, maybe in your neighborhood somewhere. So I think maybe there's just a overall lack of understanding that that's just how business is done in America. I'm not sure how you fix it other than just, you know, building it into, you know, earlier courses in the education system, but. Well, I go, I go back to some early McDonald's uh, positioning. If you go back to early McDonald's, it was always celebrating the owner operator. It was, you know, Nick or Jim's McDonald's in this community and Nick or Jim around the community. Everyone knew that I or you invested our life savings into opening this McDonald's. And then obviously things change over time, but then brand, became more the focus to say like we're we're unity and part of the magic of mcdonald's is you could go anywhere in the world and have the same burger that you could in chicago that you could in tokyo and so i think it's almost like business forced the hand there but then you drop all the way down to the employee level still today even sometimes it'll it'll have the llc on the check but you still see mcdonald's on the check and so it's hard to understand that there's someone who who took a giant risk which we'll get into risk too uh, to get into this position, you know? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, it's funny that you say that. I used to get paychecks when I was a kid that said uh, rallies of Ohio DBA something or right. whatever, you know, and, and I didn't even know what that meant. There was a guy I worked for when I was 17 at a Bonanza Steakhouse. And I said, what does DBA mean? And he goes, doing business as. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, you know, you just you just get no exposure to it unless you're curious enough to ask questions. Um, or unless somebody offers up the information to you. Right. So, yeah, um, it's funny, too, when you watch the movie The Founder, have you seen the movie The Founder about the Mm -hmm. McDonald's story? You know, if a lot of people saw that movie, they might understand it a little bit better um, or pick up on it a little earlier. Um, But other than that, you know, it's just sort of not, it's just not out in the general public that, you know, this, this place that you're at is probably owned by your neighbor. Yeah, that's right. So before I get into your franchisee story, because I'm super fascinated by that, operations. I mean, if I, if I think through your, your career path, I have two, two sides to this question. One is, uh, were you dreaming of the, of being a president of a brand someday? And then the second part, which I think will open up some of this, uh, some of the discussion, you think about the pathway, like majority of business leaders come from an ops background. Yet the, the pressures on a business comes from marketing. Where are my leads? Get me more leads or I need more customers. But if the operations aren't sound, then it doesn't matter how many customers you drive, you're going to lose them all. And so if you think back through your career of the importance of understanding the foundation first before even driving in the customer, does that relate into how you view, you know, restaurant operations today? Yeah. Okay. So it's an interesting question. No, I never thought um, about being the, the, you know, the, the leader of anything operational really as far as a career goes. I didn't really have a lot of thoughts on what a career might or could be, to be totally honest with you. I grew up in sort of, um, uh, you know, fairly um, uh, poor household. My mom was a, a single mom and uh, was trying to go to school pretty much from the age of six to 15. 
she was able to do it uh, somehow. She went from zero college credits to a PhD in eight years uh, while raising me. Um, and just, it was just the two of us. And I got my first job when I was 15 just to have money. Just, we didn't, we never, you know, were worried about being homeless or anything like that, but never had extra. And so getting a job um, allowed me to buy stuff. You know, I didn't have to help her. I mean, she was fully, uh, you know, self-sufficient and everything was fine. But in order to get stuff that I wanted, I, I needed to supplement. And so that's sort of why I got a job. As soon as I got a job, I was, I was hooked. I was hooked on the money. My first paycheck was $187. I bought a bicycle so that I could get to work on my own if they needed me to work more. And then my second uh, purchase was a, a Nintendo. I think it was like the original, the, the original Nintendo version because everybody had one except for me. Um, and, you know, I probably could think back and think of everything I bought with those first like five or six checks because it sort of fed this desire, this hunger for stuff, you know, um, and not having stuff. When I realized that the harder I worked, the more hours I got and the more hours I got, the more money I got, the more willing I was to do anything for it. You know, they call hey, you just finished your shift. But would you mind coming back and working another eight hour shift? Sure, I'll do that. Um, and I was happy to pick those things up. And then uh, along those lines, when I realized that if I worked my way into uh, uh, like a team leader, shift leader position, I'd make more money then I became very uh, focused on doing that. And that became, I guess, like my my guiding star, my guiding light was always working as as much as possible, as well as possible, so that I'd get either a, a better raise or a promotion. Um, and that's literally at every stop point, stopping point, sort of like, well, if I keep trying hard, I'll get to the assistant manager level. And if I keep trying hard, maybe I could become a manager. And if I keep trying hard, maybe I can become a district manager and so on and so forth. And that literally was what led me, you know, down this path. It was it was not anything intentional or purposeful until probably when I got married and and um, a year later we had a little girl that I became really focused on getting to that next level and the next level after that, because now I sort of had made my bed um, and I needed to, to stay um, stay the course and, you know, try to drive it home as much as I could. Um, I think I've forgotten the second half of your question now because I got too involved in my story. Uh, well, the, fir the first part was, did you dream of doing this? And second, yeah. uh, when you think back on how you operationalize a business, how, oh, yeah. how important is the operation side? Uh, so the operation side to me is like, so I think of operations and marketing as sort of the opposite sides of the same coin. Um, the marketing team is going to go out and say our, uh, the, the images in the background, you see the top loaded shakes. This is what our top loaded shake looks like. If it, in the operations side, we don't deliver that, then the marketing promise or the market, the brand promise sort of fails. Right. And so to me, marketing and operations are literally two sides of the same coin. Um, the operations side of things has to deliver the product that marketing is, is putting out there and saying they're going to get um, or the service or whatever that promise is that's being made is. And, um, and they have to reflect back on each other very well. So I've always thought it was super you know, important. I also found in the various systems, which were all QSR, that a lot of my compensation was connected to my guest uh, sentiment or whatever service scores I was being measured against. Right. And so it made it vitally important to deliver on what whatever we were supposed to be delivering on. If the speed of service standard was three minutes, then, you know, we need to hit three minutes. If the food was supposed to look like this or 
um, you know, be a certain temperature or the whole time was only allowed to be five minutes, then we were only going to hold it for five minutes and serve the product. I, I was very, um, what's the right word? Very respectful of what those rules were and what my role in achieving those rules were uh, in order to, to, you know, be operationally uh, very strong. And I think that that paid off for me because I became one of the fix it guys, one of the people they send to fix a bad restaurant or a bad market that very much became sort of, you know, what I was known for, which led me down lots of different promotional paths and lots of different opportunities. So I really feel like operations and, and the idea of delivering really high level, high quality operations is probably, you know, part and parcel to why I've managed to, you know, end up sort of successfully um, land on my feet successfully. Uh, the, the connection to that piece is, um, the other half of that puzzle, I guess, is what I'm saying, is the people side of it. You know, all of the people that run these restaurants that um, land in a restaurant job because it's like the easiest job to get or it's the closest one to their home or it will work around your school schedule uh, to, to fill these shifts. Those people are so full of promise, but sometimes don't um, go down a path uh, that leads to, you know, big careers that I found that sort of pulling people into running great operations leads them into better careers also. And so I think those two pieces, the sort of the commitment to doing a good job on whatever the, the brand wants and the ability to, to bring people into that, um, they, they, they feed each other, they support each other, if that makes sense. You get it, everybody on the team working towards delivering the right product at the right time and all the things and everything works. So it's fascinating to sit sit in my seat. I mean, my my beginning story is all focused on being a journalist and being being a people storyteller. And so when I just listen to your story into the operation side, like of course this makes sense. You you operationalize. How am I going to get the bike? And mar marketing kept on marketing. They're like, you need a bike and you need the Nintendo. And you said, how can I operationalize the process of getting the bike and the Nintendo? And so yeah. if you go all the way back to like when, when you're first entering your career, you weren't, you weren't putting the bike and the Nintendo as the first thing. You're like, I'm going to work hard in exchange. This is the return that I get on it. And when you were talking about the operation side, you're like, if I work hard and show that this product that marketing gave, gave out to the public is exactly what the customer uh, gets, then the sentiment's going to be high, which means I'm rewarded for it. So it's like your roadmap, it didn't matter what the widget ended up being. It was designed right. on who your DNA was. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is that what I found specifically in the fast food restaurants and the, like Jack in the Box, the franchise restaurant, is that there's um, sometimes a deficit in the, the commitment and the quality level that employees are willing to bring forth. And so it's very, I found it for myself, it was very easy to stand out. It was very easy to be a high performer in that environment, which then sort of made it very easy to move up and get more hours and make more money. Um, I mean, it's funny because it's it's nothing it's nothing different than your mom or your dad or your grandparents taught you. You know, you know, be good, do the do what you're supposed to do. People will notice. It really works in the QSR industry. Like, no no joke. I, uh, I, I'm nothing special. I've done, you know, I'm, I would say I'm, you know, I'm fairly intelligent. Um, I, I'm a fairly hard worker. I'm not like a super person. 
and I was able to move up fairly, fairly quickly, fairly easily, just because I, you know, I, I tried hard enough, and I and I did what I was supposed to do. And that's a su- super humble statement, and and not a lot of people in a leadership seat can uh, can take that approach. If you, like if, if I had tried to do this at like a high level, you know, uh, I don't know, university or some. Uh, you know, high level business with where you need a lot of other skills, I probably would still be working in the front lines. I think that picking the restaurant industry, the restaurant industry is really, it's really an interesting, um, uh, like, like American story, I guess, like you can go to the restaurant industry, you don't necessarily have to have an education, you don't have to do anything. They'll teach you what you need to do. They'll even teach you all the management stuff along the way. And you can work your way all the way up um into high levels of business where you're given the opportunity to make pretty good money and even become uh partners there's so many people in our group in our franchise group that are operators and have been operators since they were in their you know uh, teens or early 20s or straight out of college and now they're business owners um and and i think the restaurant industry i may be wrong but might be sort of the only industry where that can happen trying to think of other examples of where you could sort of like, I had friends that worked at grocery stores, uh, bagging groceries and stuff. I don't know any of them that are now own a grocery store, right? Yeah. Like it's this sort of different business. So, um, uh, or even in the hotel industry, I suppose the hotel industry might be similar, but that's that's sort of in the umbrella of the hospitality stuff in general. It may be that the bigger comment is that in hospitality, you can work your way up and end up- or the, you know, or the- or that they're better at showing the pathway. I mean, if you think about a bagger at a grocery store, it's not like the owner of the grocery store goes after you finish bagging, you go to the register after the register, you go to managing after managing, you go to this, and then someday you can own this versus yeah. restaurants feels attainable because you can see a pathway. Cause there's so many success stories of going from dishwasher to owner, you know? Yeah. Do you, could you, can you put yourself in, in, in a pause moment, if you think about it, I'm, you're on your way to being a multi-unit franchisee, which would be the, the cream of the crop when it comes to restaurant operators. If you're a multi-unit franchisee and you can scale and figure out how to duplicate this thing over again, then, then in, in, in the words of the industry you've won, can you go all the way back to Jim taking that job to buy the bike and the Nintendo and tell Jim like someday you're going to own restaurants and, and believe it? Or was it always like, like that, that dream could never even come true. Yeah, I don't think that I could tell me that. I don't I think I would have no idea what that even meant, to be yeah. honest with you. You have to understand that uh, my entire childhood, we lived in sort of this like two bedroom ram ramshackle uh, shack of a place with, you know, like, I mean, I, and I'm not looking for, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, say in a way that I'm looking for sympathy, but, you know, there were, we, we shared the house with lots of cockroaches and we didn't have like an ac unit like you know what i mean it was like it was we were pretty it was pretty meager meager means and um to say hey you're gonna end up uh being able to own a business i think i would not be able to fathom that in in any way shape or form so uh cause me proud of it now i'm yeah i am proud of it but you know what i found very interesting is that um it doesn't seem like it was that difficult in retrospect you know um but um I can see how people starting out would find it to be probably unlikely or improbable for them yeah. that they could they could follow that path. But I know a lot of people that have sort of landed in this same in this same place. So again, I go back to the the promise, I guess, of the hospitality side of of business or the the promise of restaurants specifically. 
One thing that you said when you were telling your story is you said mem member and uh, part of the business and, and referring member is now your, your franchisee. Yeah. Do you think, do you see that as something that, that connects with other people that are going through the buying process just to know that you've, you're, you have the, you're wearing the same shoes as they're going to wear? Yeah, I actually, yes, I do. I think um, I've always felt like I was sort of a, an advocate for the business side of things, having run restaurants for a long time or run um, regions or, or districts or areas with the restaurant uh, level P&L responsibility resides in those people. And so there is a certain amount of entrepreneurial spirit and, and uh, work that you do to try to make your your little chunk of the company more profitable or make a lot of money for the for the, the leaders. You know, you, you're sort of the same thing when you work really hard, they give you more hours. If you make a lot of money, they give you more restaurants. That same principle applies um, all the way up the ladder. And I think that I always felt very uh, close to making sure franchisees within the various companies I've worked for had um, you know the opportunity to make more money. I would have given myself an A two and a half years ago before I was a franchise owner and sort of understanding and knowing the franchisees um, pain and, and whatnot. Today, as an actual franchisee, uh, I would tell you that I was probably a B at best, um, and I understand it significantly better, significantly more than I did before. And lots of different sides or layers of the business, including like the real estate side at a much higher level, the construction side at a much higher level. And construction reported to me at Blaze Pizza, construction reports to me at Dave's Hot Chicken. I didn't know it the way I know it now. I don't even think I know it now, to be honest with you, but. I know it at a much different um, level than I knew it then. Uh, I understand everything at a different um, level than I did two years ago. Um, I've had a couple of franchisees within our system or people that I talk to sometimes maybe like on an airplane somewhere say, is that kind of a conflict of interest if you're the president of the company and you're also a franchisee? And I think it's more of a confluence of interest. I actually think that it makes it better. Um, are there things that I could get away with Probably, uh, but not for long. I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of oversight. Um, uh, Dave's actually has the, the rights to buy me back when they want to, um, which is sort of how you get out of the conflict of interest thing, uh, which I think is totally appropriate and just grateful for the opportunity. Um, I hope they don't buy me back. I hope they go, you know what, just keep your stores, you know, you, you're, you're okay. Um, uh, one of my partners in that, uh, in our franchise is the CFO of the company. Uh, so he and I are actually sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum. He's looking for the day they do buy us back. He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a pre, it's, you know, it's a preset amount and um, uh, like a, a, a multiple of EBITDA. And he's looking to, to bank that money someday. And I'm sort of like, I could do this the rest of my life and just run restaurants. Um, as long as they're profitable, I can make a living off of it. I, I think that would be great. I could see myself doing that until I, you know, until I retire or even until I die because it becomes passive income at some point, you know. Uh, one of my sons or my daughter or somebody could pick it up and and run it and i just make sure i get my piece and we're okay you know so um uh, i really do feel that um this this experience has made me a better operator but a better business person more than anything um and more in line sort of with what the franchisees want need and appreciate um in their endeavor in their business endeavor What's the balance of stress in your brain? Because obviously you got, I'm operating a company, but then I'm operating a company, like a small company yeah. and big company. How do you balance the, that stress level? So I've, I've been very fortunate. I mentioned the people side of things uh, a few minutes ago. I've been very fortunate to end up with some really, really good people um, along the way that have helped me 
uh, you know, advance in my career. I'm, I think the couple of the guys that I still work with today, uh, I worked with 25 years ago, 22 years ago, 18 years ago, 15 years ago, 12 years ago. It's sort of um, uh, you keep you, you hold on to the good ones as long as you can. And as you find opportunities, you find opportunity for yourself. You find opportunities for them also and bring them along with you. So um, I just did this exercise the other day where I was looking at our org chart for Dave's and probably 20 people on our team, maybe even 25 worked with us at at least one concept before and maybe 15 or so, maybe maybe 12. So two, two brands ago. Sorry, did I cut you off? Yeah, you're back. My uh, my my AirPods just picked up. <laughs> Sorry, I've had them on the entire time, but I've been talking to you on the phone. Sorry about that. Anyway, so um, uh, there there are twelve of them that worked with us at two uh two brands before, and then there are two people and myself that worked at three brands ago, which is funny, and interesting. Jim, so, you're you're. you're your complete package of story is very fascinating to me. And look, I like un unpacking the human story because I think it shows the leader behind it. At the end of the day, brands don't sell brands, people do. And to a franchise buyer, they can watch this video and say, you're, you're a real person. Uh, you're, not, you're not a figurehead that is just operating off of a P&L. There's a real human being behind this brand. And I think that like, the widget is great. You got great branding, the product people rave about, but that's not going to make a franchise spectacular. It's going to be the people. And I think you just touched on that in a, in a magical way. And I think you've done a great job of explaining your story too. Well, I would just want to mention also that this only happens when you've got leaders that sort of understand this piece of it. Our CEO at Dave's Hot Chicken, his name is Bill Phelps. He did this uh, with his previous brand, Wetzel's Pretzels, where he let officers be part of the business also. So it's sort of, um, I guess, his signature move. He's very entrepreneurial. He's super generous. He's always, uh, he's always finding ways to support and help the people within his organizations. And I feel like it's, it, it, this is just one of those pieces. He's, uh, he's like a master franchisor. That's all they've done. Um, he did uh, Wetzel's Pretzels, Blaze Pizza, and uh, Dave's, and I'm sure there's other stuff in there that I don't even know about. But the idea that you sort of give back to the people that help you become successful, that didn't start with me. I mean, it didn't even start with Bill. Um, Bill's significantly older than I am, just so you know. So the likelihood that it started with him is much higher than the likelihood that it started with me. But it's only through sort of his willingness and his understanding that, the, that when he opens the opportunity or opens the door for someone else, it creates better opportunities for himself. That whole piece of it is a big deal, and it's, and I give him a lot of credit for it. Well, and I think the the value of the trickle down effect from leadership and what you just said is the person that is on top of you. You're you're embodying that, and when you can build a leadership team that follows the lead and all holds on to that same cultural values, that's where you build some special things. And obviously, like I'm a I'm a fan. I, I look forward to seeing where this journey goes and seeing where your journey goes. This is not going to be the only stop. You're going to continue to build and grow and and do other things. And I'm grateful for the chance to have talked with you today. Great, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'll just, I'll pop the, I don't pop comments often, but here's a, uh, Raj said, Jim is a super person. Don't let him kid you. So, you know, you, you have fans <laughs> out there too. So that's Raj uh, is a super person. Raj, Raj and I are going to be in business together someday. Just so you know, I've already, I've already put it, I put it out to the universe. So we're going to get it. All right. Thank you. Jim, thank you that. for Jim. I'm Nick. This is another episode of meet the Zor. 
Bye for you.